Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that brings you the very best in professional development and career planning in the charitable sector. I'm your host, Pat McDowell, and I'm happy to bring you this bonus episode with my colleague, Mike Blackwelder, as we discuss a topic I wish we didn't have to. But unfortunately, we can't quite escape the coronavirus. So as nonprofit leaders, we need to talk about what we can do while we are all confined to work-at-home settings. Mike and I touch on five key areas of nonprofit leadership right now. Uh, Leadership including how you deal with your staff, how you're dealing with your board, your donors, how you adapt your strategy and the programming elements of this virtual world in which we now live. And we've also talked, last but not least, about taking care of yourself uh, in this somewhat isolated environment that we're now having to operate. We've tried to come up with suggestions, examples, and resources that will help you in each of these areas. So pay particular attention to the show notes for this episode. It's number 29. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you will find all of the links to various resources, books, and other material that will help you as you navigate this coronavirus environment. As always, let us know if there's something we can do to help you or your organization. Go to our website and you can connect with us by any means through our social media or other communication channels. Without further ado, please enjoy this bonus episode, number 29, with Mike Blackwelder. Mike, thank you for joining me again on The Path. Thanks for having me. Excited to have this conversation. Well, it's a tough time for everybody. No one really needs a reminder, of course, of the unprecedented changes we're seeing in the nonprofit sector. But you and I have had some conversations lately that I thought would turn nicely into a podcast episode for our listeners. Uh, Despite the challenges, there are some encouraging signs and some really creative and positive activity going on that we thought uh, you know would be valuable to share with our listeners. And Mike, you yourself have been in a unique position. One of our clients, you're, you're serving as an interim CEO. So for you, a lot of this conversation is not theory. Uh, you're literally on the front line of working with staff and board and donors. And so I guess, how has that uh, gone for you so far? I think you've certainly had some tough but also positive experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in, say, of course, this was an unexpected, uh, no one expected this to happen, but uh, um, definitely interesting time to be in an interim CEO role, um, you know, dealing with uh, this uh, pandemic and, and all the things that have transpired since and, and working with you know, staff and board and donors just at, on different levels. Um, it's definitely made a, a huge change, a huge shift from how things were uh, a couple months ago. And I think that's you know, true for everyone, uh, but definitely seen a lot of changes um, and a lot of good work being done as well. You know, a lot of, a lot of philanthropic activity in Charlotte, uh, a lot of collaborations going on and I'm just grateful for all the people out there that are still involved in philanthropy, who are still um, essential workers out there providing services. And I'm just grateful for, all of the work that continues to go on that will, you know, help, help us improve and and move past the situation. Yeah, you're right. We all need the morale boost. 
And we're seeing evidence of that in communities across the country and literally around the world. And so our view from Charlotte, I think, is reflected in many of the communities our listeners are in. And it's nice to see that. And again, do the best we can to turn some of these challenges into opportunities or at least learnings that ultimately can make uh, ourselves and our organizations stronger. Um, Our design for this conversation, Mike, as you know, for our listeners, we're going to talk about five general categories. Um, What nonprofit leaders are doing in this environment with their staff, with their board, with their donors, how it's affecting their strategic planning and programming, and then finally, how are they dealing with their own personal challenges and issues and what we would label as self-care, which I think no one would argue is important. So with that framework in mind, Mike, let's start with the staff, your team as a nonprofit leader. Um, Lots of our our leaders are having to scramble into uh, virtual mode, and that's not always familiar. So how have you seen that being addressed so far? I think different nonprofits are are handling it um, in in different ways and uh, people are coping with it. Some people were kind of already set up for the remote work. Some people had to, you know, pivot and be more agile and and jump into it quickly. And um, so it's depending on the organization, I think some made an easy switch and some it's been a little tough. Um, Luckily our organization pivoted fairly well. We were able to go into our telework virtual mode uh, fairly quickly and um, just a few hiccups here and there as I think anyone would expect but it's been it's been effective so far so um, definitely a new environment and a new reality for uh, at least the near future. Well and Mike you know obviously as leaders you want uh, some structure and continuity and communication you want frequent communication uh, as a leader but I guess you've made the point that we've got to be sensitive to the very different home situations now our teams might be facing. Absolutely. And I I should have started this with every group we're going to talk about um, in any conversation I've had with, with people. I usually uh, I've mentioned in some way during this time when we're all dealing with this crisis, when we're, you know, working from home in new environments, do everything you can to just show people more grace and more patience and more kindness than you have before. Um, You know, just, we all could use that right now. So I, I try to mention that with each audience that I speak with, but um, definitely being flexible with uh, a work from home environment. A lot of people are working from home with children or with, with spouses. Um, so just being a little bit flexible with your staff and, and knowing that they, you know, might have to adjust working hours a, a little bit. Um, and that communication part is really key. Um, you know, don't want to micromanage from afar, but, communicating often and, and clearly and efficiently is, is just really key right now so that people uh, feel supported and they feel heard and they feel you know safe. You've made that point well. And, and we've learned amongst our own colleagues at PMA, you know, we've got two of our uh, colleagues literally having to start homeschools. <laughs> right. And so uh, how many of our nonprofit uh, colleagues out there are literally having to become at-home educators or in my case, I got a kid home from college. And so that changes the dynamic or people are worried or concerned about uh, aging or adult parents and things like that. So you're right. I guess flexibility perhaps is the advice. And, and you've also mentioned, Mike, just giving your colleagues the tools they need to succeed. 
Yeah, just making sure they have, you know, the equipment, the support they need. Um, it, not everybody adapts to the remote environment as quickly as others. So a little bit of coaching there to make sure that they are you know, able to join in, whether it be a Zoom call or a conference call and just um, utilize that technology. And um, from a management perspective, um, learning how to manage people from a remote location is is new and different. And so I know some people have, have struggled with that. So um, as a, you know, in the interim CEO role, kind of coaching my leaders and our directors on how, you know, they should be managing and, and supporting their staff as well to make sure that they um, feel supported. I've seen some good examples, Mike, too. And we tried this as a firm, you know, having meetings that frankly allow almost a test, a trial run, to, to allow, allow your executive committee of the board, allow your team or different subgroups that you meet with virtually a chance to get into the Zoom equipment or whatever virtual platform you use. Um, and frankly, allow 15, 20 minutes before the, the official meeting starts because invariably somebody's going to have problems figuring it out and need time to, to experiment. Um, a, a recent podcast with uh, Heather Yandow and nonprofit IST She's the founder. They've got some good resources about uh, meeting management and adapting to uh, virtual environments like this. And we'll certainly include that in our show notes. Uh, Mike, it seems like you've also used some great advice and offered great advice around turning some of these meetings into more positive uh, discussions because naturally the early conversations were always kind of scary and negative. And so I, maybe you could share examples you've seen and, in fact, employed yourself to help morale in a, a staff setting. Right, right. Well, I know right before our, our team moved into the remote work atmosphere, we had a full team meeting to kind of explain what was, what was going to happen. And, you know, this all happened very quickly. So we were, um, you know, changing things and updating things daily. But the last staff meeting we had was you know, kind of bleak and um didn't know really didn't really know what to expect so i found that these team meetings whether it's with small groups or with the full team um can be impactful and helpful and just um kind of boosting morale and, and being more positive um first team call this week uh with the entire team and uh try to do a few things just to um you know lift the energy we did some virtual icebreak you know what's the best show to binge watch while you're uh, staying at home. <laughs> right. Uh, I had a colleague that said they had a, a wheel with literally every uh, employee's name on it and they would spin the wheel and whoever, whoever the wheel landed on, they would had gift cards and just small increments uh, that they were able to send out to some of their staff members just to kind of, you know, boost morale. Um, I did a, I've heard someone else do kind of above and beyond uh section in their team meeting just to give uh, employees a chance to recognize other employees who've gone above and beyond and really, you know, whether it's gone out of their typical day-to-day -day job description or just done something positive for a coworker or for the organization or for the community. So um, lifting up the positivity that's happening, uh, I think is, is really key in this time. It's great advice. And I think we should all nonprofit leaders should look for opportunities to find some positive, uh, some silver lining, uh, because there's still uncertainty, obviously, that everyone is uh, troubled by, understandably, but there are ways to at least offer some balance 
um, a similar group, Mike, we're, we're both dealing with and seeing leaders deal with, of course, is their boards of directors. And I guess I'll segue to that group. Uh, I have seen some great examples of organizations um, having that initial meeting to, to look at the calendar, to get organized. Um, I had a university I was working with do a virtual happy hour. Um, they, had, they had business to cover but they decided to do it and allow for both the formal and some informal check-ins, you know, how you doing? And I think they literally scheduled it five o'clock. People could bring a beverage of their choice to the meeting, but it allowed for a bit of a, a positive reflection as well as we've got work to do. And, and so that may be one example, but what else have you seen or things you think our listeners should consider as it relates to the board in particular? I think one thing that's really key to remember, um, of course, we all rely on our boards and can't do the work that we do without our great board members, but they are volunteers and, you know, they also have day jobs and their lives are impacted by what's going on as well. So, you know, that's going to affect the um, frequency of communication, their availability. So just continuing to be sensitive to that as well and, you know, not putting additional pressure on, on board members. Um, I've really seen people handle interactions with boards and committees differently um, across the across the spectrum. Some people have looked at the frequency of meetings and said, you know, during this time when everybody's busier and on calls nonstop and on Zoom, uh, video meetings nonstop, uh, maybe we need to meet less frequently. I've seen groups say, no, we actually need to meet more frequently because we want everyone to stay up to date and things are changing so uh, often. We need to meet regularly so that everyone stays informed. Um, the length of the board meetings as well. You know, um, I, my last board meeting I did in March, we shortened it uh, just a little bit so that we could make just the, the most efficient use of everyone's time and, and not keep them tied to their screens as most people are all day anyway. So um, just kind of adjusting to what each, what works for each board and what works for each organization and, um, and making sure that they, uh, you're taking care of your board members as well as keeping them informed and, and involved as well. Great idea. And I would encourage every organization to have at least uh, an early meeting, if you haven't already, to address meeting duration, meeting frequency, meeting design, uh, because everything in that category, those categories are going to be adjusting, obviously, in the next month or longer, perhaps. And so I think that logistical meeting, and Mike, you make a good point, too, about um, do organizations, policies and procedures allow for virtual voting and other things like that? Yeah, I've seen some people run into situations where their bylaws, their policies, procedures, they just, they haven't really accommodated for this type of situation, but it's never happened and they've never had to. So, um, you know, I think now's the time you can kind of go outside some of those policies and procedures because you, you have to, uh, but it's also important to look to make sure you're following um, your guidelines and, and what you have to do. I know, um, you know, if you're all on a video call like Zoom, uh, there's a chat feature there, but being aware that not everyone can see that chat feature. If someone calls in, they might not see that screen. So um, if you if you do a vote there, not everyone would be counted. Um, the same thing goes for if you do board votes uh, on a phone call or a video call. If you do the typical, you know, all those in favor, you may not capture everyone who has participated. So um, I've seen groups suggest more of a roll call vote on important items like that so that they can actually record who voted for what and uh, make sure they 
count people correctly. A good time, Mike, to lift up our friends at BoardSource. They have, like many organizations within the nonprofit sector, have put together some great resources, and the things you're describing are exactly uh, among the things they have offered some resources. So again, I know I'm looking at the silver lining here, but this may be a good time to review your policies and procedures and allow flexibility you need in this unusual circumstance, but maybe it also is a chance to clean up some things that you have not paid attention to perhaps in a long time because you frankly have not had to. Um, Absolutely. I think there's some, you know, all of us have some antiquated processes out there that just never get around to updating. So a time like this kind of allows for that, whether it's, you know, getting the video call subscription or uh, doing something like DocuSign so you don't have to, to sign, physically sign things. Um, you know, now's the time to implement those things. Well, and you mentioned another thing we've heard uh, colleagues suggest, while we want to communicate and even over communicate in this new environment, there has also been some pushback from one, a virtual meeting overload and a digital information overload. And mm-hmm. so I think you're recommending to some of our clients and colleagues, you know, be careful about bombing them with too much information. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that applies to, to boards and to, I know we're going to donors next. Um, I think it applies to both. You know, you want to keep your board informed. You, you know, they have to know what's going on, leaders of the organization, but um, just being aware that they're getting information nonstop electronically on, um, so whether it's a, uh, I've tried to use different methods of if it's a, maybe send a quick text, if it's something that I just need to get the information out really quickly or, or get an answer on. Um, but for stuff that doesn't have to be as um, urgent, kind of a summary email uh, that I can send, uh, you know, however often needed, just so that people stay informed, but you're not inundating them with, you know, dozens of emails, just kind of summarizing the, the highlights. And so they can get one email and read at their convenience instead of so many. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I've seen a rhythm that executive directors or I'm following are using kind of headline based communications, a weekly uh, update to, uh, you know, key constituents, board members, key donors, et cetera. Um, you know, basically you can click here if you want to see even more, but it, it allows a board member who he or she is scrambling in their own life or business can quickly get the headlines from your nonprofit and not be inundated with data. Um, the donor group, Mike, is, is obviously significant for every nonprofit. The, the elephant in the room question, of course, is the degree to which you fundraise right now. And I guess if you are in a direct relief-oriented nonprofit, there is justification and an appeal you can make, but what what are you seeing or suggesting in terms of donor communication in particular? Well, it's a tough time uh, for everyone, for every nonprofit. Um, and just to stay on the communication topic, uh, just be aware of what's going out to donors um, that you work with and know that, you know, your donors are likely donors to other organizations as well. So they're getting communication from, from other organizations. So just to be sensitive of, you know, how much you're sending out, how frequent your emails are, you um, don't want to get in a situation where people are information overload and they, they start hitting delete when they see things that aren't, you know, urgent or necessary. So uh, I'm probably overly conscious of communication right now. I think now is a really important time to just be sensitive about, um, you know, the amount of communication you're, you're 
providing to donors. You certainly want to keep them informed. You, you want them to keep giving if they can, but uh, just being aware that they're getting a lot of information and you don't want to be part of that information overload. Um, and you make a good point, Patton, of, you know, kind of the frontline folks, the people who are really being impacted by the um, crisis and are, are on the front lines and providing those essential services. Uh, they have obviously a great case that they need support right now and um, they need donations now more than ever. Um, but I'll say the same is true for nonprofits across the board, whether it's an arts organization or, um, you know, colleges and universities, whatever the type of organization it is, everyone's being impacted by this. Um, loss of revenue base, um, donors are, are maybe stepping back because uh, they may be coming un unemployed. So uh, every, not, every type of nonprofit across the sector is really feeling the burden here. So um, everyone has a case to make. So it's uh, how do you articulate your case during this time? of crisis is, is something that I think every nonprofit leader really needs to think through and how they want to convey that to their donors. No, you're right. And, and, and obviously you can't be tone deaf and, and just kind of hammer your donors with pre-programmed uh, appeals, whether it be direct mail or email or whatever format you use. But I also think we're recommending to our clients that you don't need to stop asking for support either. Again, regardless of the sector you're in, uh, let the donor decide. Uh, there are uh, very generous people uh, in all of our communities that will still help, I think, mm -hmm. if you don't steamroll someone with an inappropriate ask. And we've seen examples of that too, where people have sent, it would appear to be pre-programmed appeals. But I've noticed too, Mike, some uh, softening of language. You know, in other words, hey, we understand if if you're not in a position to pay your pledge right now, we'll work with you. But yeah. I, I would not suggest you not send the pledge reminder at all. But have you seen examples like that, Mike, either good or bad? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, regardless of the situation, we all have to have, we have operating funds and we have to, you know, keep going. So you have to keep the asks up somehow, but I think softening the language definitely helps. And, um, just, you know, maybe changing the frequency or you know, if you have a pledge reminder going out, you know, being more flexible there and allowing for uh, additional time or maybe uh, different ways to pay, make payments. Um, I heard one colleague mention that they uh, were giving donors the opportunity when they make their pledge payment um, during this crisis, they can allow for a percentage, I think they use 25% of their pledge um, would go directly to crisis relief efforts um, just so that they can, while they're continuing to support the organization, they're also knowing that their money is going to, to help people that are impacted right now. And even if you're not a nonprofit that um, is in the, in active with the relief efforts, you could still do something similar because you're going to need your own relief fund at some point, you know, you're going to have to rebuild your nonprofit. So I think that's an idea that, uh, everyone could use and adapt accordingly. But if a percentage of a pledge or donation kind of goes into a relief fund to kind of help rebuild the organization's infrastructure whenever we come back for this, because we know there's going to be a, um, a recovery period as well. Yeah, especially if you have to let people go. I mean, uh, yeah, regardless of the sector you're in, this will indeed affect your infrastructure, your staffing. And I, I, I really like that idea that uh, it, it, represents a sensitive way to approach an appeal that the donor can directly impact relief 
in whatever format relief takes for your organization. So give them a chance to help you. Of course, a lot of educational institutions are, are beginning funds to help students who have uh, expenses they never imagined they'd have because of being sent home and things like that. And again, our friends in the arts community uh, could be dealing with all kind of challenges of people they support uh, on staff and thus the donor would be uh, certainly willing to help. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and regardless of, even if while well asked could, should continue and, and keep going on, now's a great time to check in with donors. Um, another organization told me that they uh, had some of their development staff just calling donors and, and key folks and just checking in with them. You know, how are you dealing with this crisis? You know, are you, are you okay? Are you healthy? Um, How's your not, business? No, ask, right. Yeah. I'm sorry. How's your business and yeah. things like that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, no ask whatsoever, but just a great opportunity for, for stewardship and for, for checking in. So I, I think that's a great um, technique. Well, Mike, what about other ways a donor could help? You've mentioned advocacy uh, could be a crucial uh, issue for many nonprofits who are in the legislative discussions right now. So how have you seen that maybe translated into donor communication? Sure. I think obviously any donor, any supporter can can help with um, the advocacy piece and advocate on the organization's behalf. But especially those people who, you know, they may be unemployed or, or their uh, income may be reduced uh, because of what's going on. They still want to support you. This is a great way for them to to be active and support without uh, a financial burden. So, you know, there was in the relief efforts uh, passed federally, there were some benefits to nonprofits there. There's additional uh, advocacy going on to try to increase those, whether it's the, you know, increasing the uh, charitable deduction limit, uh, providing more benefits to nonprofits. So just kind of honing in on those items that will help the nonprofit sector as a whole. Um, and that's a way for donors and, and supporters to get involved and contact their legislators so that they can, you know, help nonprofits get the support they need to keep going. Yeah, it's a great point. And again, something that can easily be translated into a headline. Most states like we in North Carolina have a, a center for nonprofits or or some uh, organization that keeps an eye on state and federal advocacy. Uh, very easy to send a link to your key board members, donors, and others who might want to lend their voice to the cause that you need them to, to lend it to. Um, sure. Mike, they, another of the challenges, obviously, uh, when you are a leader of a nonprofit, your three to five year strategic plan just doesn't feel relevant right now, given the fact you've got to keep your head down. Uh, what have you seen and what have you done to kind of address the near term urgency of strategic planning uh, in this environment? I think it's really important just to be adaptive uh, and again, agile to use that term again. Uh, to know that you know your strategic plan doesn't have to completely go out the window because of this, and you know you don't want to uh, derail the organization too much, and you don't have to. But uh, what can you do in the short term? Is there a short-term strategic plan? Is there a um, I want to say a kind of an intervention plan to kind of get through uh, this phase and then rebuild uh, to get back where you were and to get back on track? But I think it's important to. Uh, keep your eye on on what your goals are and what your what your mission is, and make sure you're um, being adaptive, but also staying true to to your mission and your strategy. It's hard not to get almost in a panic mode, but obviously our advice is uh, the strong leaders are going to maintain 
a strategy, even if it is a pivot strategy, an agile strategy, as you suggest, um, because the alternative, of course, is uh, you're going to go out of business. And that's scary. No one wants that given the importance of your mission. But you are going to have to step up as a leader and consider scenario planning. And what will you do if your programming has to go from live to virtual? Uh, we we have friends, as everyone does, that rely on direct programming. Our friend with the symphony uh, having to not uh, host their concerts, the Summer Pops, or the Girl Scouts organization that relies on camps and things like that. Um, how can you pivot to a virtual environment, I think, is the better question as opposed to, uh, understandably, maybe the panic that comes from what are we going to do? Sure, sure, absolutely. And, you know, arts and, and art particularly impacted uh, by this and Discovery Place as example. Um, all of most of their activities are, are site-based. So how do you translate that into online experiences that people can have and you can uh, hopefully continue to generate some revenue from? Um, and, and being aware of, of what relief efforts are out there, you know, there's some I'm sure large communities across the country uh, have their COVID relief efforts popping up to help provide funding to provide relief to nonprofits. So being aware of what's out there and, and how you can take advantage of that, but also government stimulus, you know, how does that impact your organization? Can you do one of these loans? Can you, um, if you do have to uh, lay off staff, uh, make sure they have all the information they need so that they can get the you know the additional benefits that come along now with um, uh, being unemployed because of, of this pandemic. So just being aware of uh, what you can take advantage of. Well, you're right. And and no one wants to ponder the, the fact of staff reduction, uh, furloughs, layoffs, whatever you want to call it. But as a nonprofit leader, you, you need to scenario plan. Your board uh, sooner or later is going to ask you about scenarios involving reduction of your workforce. And so it's not a pleasant thought, but it's one I think you have to entertain at least to be uh, forward thinking. But another way I think, and we have seen some of our colleagues, those that are proactive, are using this this, uh, experience as an opportunity to really network with potential partners in their sector. Who else is serving the population you serve and might there be opportunities for programmatic uh, partnership, for shared services? Uh, there may be ways you can repurpose your team in conjunction with another. And that strikes me as obviously a much more optimistic way to approach what otherwise is uh, a scary outcome. Absolutely. I, th- I think one of the great things to come out of a crisis like this is the collaboration that we see in, in people coming together to, you know, how do we serve the populations together? And you know, I think the, uh, here locally in Charlotte, the, the shelter environments kind of came together early on to kind of address the, the extra capacity that was needed. Um, I've really seen that across the board and I'm sure I know other communities are doing that as well. Um, just to, you know, lean on each other and, and how they can work together uh, in order to keep going and also serving the populations. Well, you're right. And and considering programmatic opportunities that are outside their day-to-day mission, or at least mission up to this point, right? They were willing to be flexible and consider new approaches. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, Mike, let's talk about the individual nonprofit leader um, under all these kind of stressful <laughs> environments of 
program, staff, board, and everything else, I think you make the point that if we don't take care of ourselves, nothing else really matters. Absolutely. I, I cannot stress that enough. And it's, it's such a difficult time and it's, it's, this is a traumatic event. This is a huge life event that impacts everyone um, at some level. So self-care is just extremely important and uh, making sure that you're okay, you know, emotionally and physically and mentally um, finding a work-life balance in a, in a situation where, you know, work and life all combined and you may be at your house all day long working and that's where your personal life and your professional life takes place. But, you know, how do you find that balance and uh, set a routine that works for you so that you uh, can still be productive, but also take care of yourself and um, have boundaries. I've, I've heard people uh, do lots of different things of, you know, you can really sit in front of your computer and uh, forget to get up and eat lunch or uh, take a break, but people are, kind of being proactive and making sure they set their lunch break or you know, they have a period of time where they're not answering emails or maybe a point during the day where they go out for a walk, but just you know, making sure you uh, are taking care of yourself is, is so important right now. Yeah. I found that to be true personally. And I've heard uh, as you have our colleagues, cause you, you forget about the time built into uh, your, our former routines where you had time to decompress between meetings, you know, driving to and from activities or even walking down the hall or across the, the building or whatever. Now you can literally go nonstop in this virtual environment and it's, it's just not good for your mental health. And so your point is a good one. I think you literally have to schedule appointments to shut the equipment down get up and walk around, get outside, find activities that are non-work related, or you are going to just be a, a basket case. Absolutely. You've got to have that time to check out and, and just, you know, not be completely focused on, on work and electronics the, the whole time. Um, that being said, it's also uh, important to stay connected with, you know, friends, colleagues, whatever the case may be during this. So, you know, those of us who are, in front of a computer screen all day and constantly in zoom meetings or video meetings or conference calls, adding another one, you know, personally doesn't always seem like the best option. You don't want more screen time, but I've had several uh, happy hours with, with colleagues and and friends and found some ways to kind of do game nights interactively through some online platforms. So uh, making sure you're still, staying connected to your, your social network and your family and friends and, and checking in on each other is really important as well. That's, that's great advice. And as much as we're into professional development and productivity, uh, your activity doesn't have to fall in those spaces. Um, in fact, as you know, we've been trying to promote weekly professional development readings, but in fact, the last couple have been sensitive, I think, to this current environment. Um, Mindset by Carol Dweck, is an uplifting uh, read as is 10% happier by Dan Harris. And so if you're looking for things to read, those are some examples, but you may indeed want to read something completely outside of your professional life. And that certainly makes sense to binge watch something that is completely outside your world. Now uh, may be the best thing you can do for your kind of mental and emotional well-being. Absolutely. I agree. Any other final advice, Mike? Uh, Hopefully we've given our listeners something to ponder. And of course, we'll put show notes together with uh, 
uh, as many of these resource sites we can find to help you put it all in one place. But anything else you would lift up in the spirit of this podcast? Probably just to, to echo kind of a theme throughout our conversation is, of course, we want to you know keep our staff and our board and our donors and our organizations going and, and do our work there. But um, also, don't forget to take care of yourself and each other. You know, do what you need to do to uh, uh, maintain positivity and, and keep going and support local businesses however you can. We all know that local businesses are struggling, so if there's, there are ways you can support and um, you know think through those. And I'll say what I said at the beginning. Um, during this time, do everything you can just to show a little bit more grace and patience and kindness to your fellow humans. Great way to start and great way to finish. Mike, thanks again for joining me on this episode of The Path. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you found this discussion Mike and I had valuable and it caused you to think about how you can elevate your leadership in each of these areas within your organization with your staff, your board members, how you are connecting with donors, how this will affect your strategy and programming, and of course, how you're taking care of yourself. Uh, Don't forget, once again, to check the show notes for this episode, particularly given the number of resources that we have referenced in the discussion, as well as others we've added to these show notes to make sure you have access in one place to a lot of valuable information. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path who is in the midst of this leadership dilemma that perhaps we are all facing. And we will continue to bring these episodes to you on a weekly basis. And like this episode, sometimes we're having even more than one a week. Thank you for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And please keep up the good work as so many of the populations we serve need this help even more. Have a good week, and I will see you next time on The Path.